Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Dwight Bennett. Last week, I began a message entitled Uncommon Servants. And so I talked about uh, in John 12, 26, to where uh, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. What an amazing thing for Jesus to actually say. That he is talking about when we stand with him in the kingdom where he calls us, that, uh, that his Father honors us. And then he goes in. Uh, in John chapter 15 to say, no longer do I call you servants for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And as we get and continue to build our relationship with God, as we serve him, it's amazing how he moves us from that place to where uh, we're called servants to the place to where he now calls us his friends. And uh, that's becoming an uncommon servant. When you get to the place to where Jesus is calling you friend, then you've uh, uh, moved into a whole different place of servanthood. You know, I have a lot of family members, a lot of friends. We've got a lot of friends still from high school and, and many days of, of our life. And they will ask me, they say, what motivates you to serve Jesus? And my answer when I first got that question, it wasn't clear, but uh, as I prayed about that, I, I know this, that what I tell people now when they ask me, why do I serve Jesus like I do? I tell them in 1983, I found something worth dying for, and now I live for it each day like there's no tomorrow. In other words, I found Jesus in 1983. And when I found him, I found something that was so amazing that I found that it was worth giving my life for because he had already given his life for me. Amen. And so when we think about this idea of uh, uncommon servanthood, I just want to make this point today. I want to just make the point of saying until you wrap your arms around the extravagant love that Jesus has for us. It's hard to serve him in the capacity that he would like us to serve him. I would say this to you. Many people, they, they want to serve God, but they, they, they don't serve him out of that idea of how amazing he is. And, and I know that, you know, we can serve God out of a works mentality or we can serve him out of the extravagant love mentality that he gives unto us. And so when we think about extravagant love, I was trying to find adjectives that fit the idea of how much God loved us because I want you to understand today that there is an incredible uh, unending sea of love that God has for us. When we talk about the word extravagant, it means this. Extravagant means giving more than is necessary. Extravagant means exceeding the bounds of reason. Extravagant means going beyond what is expected or deserved. Last week I told you three characteristics of an uncommon servant. 
And uh, apparently I was speaking very quickly last week and not everybody would have uh, got the, the three things of an extravagant servant. So the first thing that I talked about, of uh, 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 three characteristics of an uncommon servant is this. Number one, an uncommon servant has devotion to the interests of others. In other words, that they, they see a need, meet a need, they, they look beyond themselves into what's going on in the lives of other people. The second thing that we see is an uncommon uh, servant uh, gives untiring care to the people that God puts into their path. And number three, uh, the third characteristic of an uncommon servant is, is that an uncommon servant delights in the prosperity, success, and happiness of someone besides themselves. And when you put those three things together, you begin to build an ideology of what an uncommon servant looks like. Now we can become an uncommon servant and it's easier to have those characteristics when you understand how extravagant the love that God has for us is. Father, today I just thank and praise you for this message. I thank and praise you that we can talk about the magnitude of your love, that we can talk about the motivation of your love and to be motivated by that love as well. And so, Father, today I pray that by the time I am finished, that people will leave this place knowing, and not just feeling, but knowing inside of their spirits that our God loves us beyond what we can even fathom because your love is so incredible. And so, Father, we just give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 18. John chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. And today, what I want to do is paint you a picture. I want to, I want to go all Bob Ross on you today. And by the time I'm done with my canvas, I want you to be able to see Jesus looking back at you. I want you to be able to see God speaking to you. I want you to see how much God not only cared about you in the past, but he cares about you in the future as well. This is what Jesus says of himself. In John chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And listen, it says, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even uh, so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16 says, And other sheep I have, which are not of the fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock of one, and one shepherd. Therefore, in verse 17, My Father loves me because I lay down my life, and that I take it up again. And verse 18 says this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. When we think of the kind of love that Jesus has for us, and Pastor Caleb uh, mentioned this and I thought he was just gonna preach my message today, but he said, uh, some of us, we struggle to know how much God loves us. 
We struggle to know how much God loves us. I remember way back in the 80s, Pastor Jarvis preached a message about the love of God and, 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 and being saved. And he said, once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you cannot get any more saved than that moment. You cannot, you cannot get any more uh, sanctified or justified or all those ifides that we talk about in the Bible. Because when Jesus died for you and when you accept him, that love that he gave to us on the cross becomes the love that you can hold on to into eternity. That's why this kind of love that Jesus has for us, at times, it can seem extremely unrealistic. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians now and let's see what the Apostle Paul has to share with the, the church in Ephesus about this very thing. When we look at Ephesians 3.16, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, now listen to verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height yeah. to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. See, when we capture the idea of he's talking about the depth, the length, the height, he's talking about every place on the earth, every place of existence, He's saying that it is filled with the love of God. Amen. And he is saying when you know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and that's why sometimes it's hard for us to capture the full ideology of how much God loves us. He's saying when you know how much God loves you, you'll be able to walk in that place of the fullness of who God is. And I pray that when I am done today that you will, in some degree, be able to know how much love was nailed to the cross for you. How much he loved you to do the things that he did for us. Now, if we're going to grasp that understanding, we need to begin to comprehend a couple things. The first is this, that this love was extremely costly. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, 2, it says Christ loved us and he gave his life for us. Now, you've got to understand that Jesus was not just giving up some inconveniences of his life. He was not just rearranging his schedule to accommodate this part into his life. No, he gave his life unto death. And Jesus was not going to die an easy death. In other words, his death was going to be so horrific that when it's written about, you can hardly fathom the amount of pain and, 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 and brutality that went in to the horrible suffering that he gave for us on the cross. His love was costly. The second thing we need to understand is how little we deserved it. The gap between us and God was so wide to overcome on our own, but the Bible tells us in this, in Romans chapter five, it says that Christ died for the ungodly. 
How many of you are glad today that Christ died for you? Amen? Amen. How many of you are glad that one day you were lost, but today that you are found? Amen? You, you can't be found any more than you are once you ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Jesus didn't die just for his current friends. No, he didn't die just for his closest family members. The Bible tells us that the, he died for this. He died for the sinful. He died for the wicked. He died for the dreadful. He died for the profane. He died for the evil. And he even died for those who continue to reject him. There were people even at the foot of the cross that continued to reject Jesus even when they saw the ultimate price that he paid. There were those that continued to reject him that even when the angel rolled away the stone and Jesus came back to life again, they still could not comprehend who he was and that he died for him, for them. But he didn't care because he did it anyway. You know, we know how hard it is naturally to un the unlovable, don't we? Mm -hmm. And so, but Jesus didn't classify people as lovable and unlovable. He classified people that I'm going to die on a cross for everybody. So his love is deeper than any ordinary love, any human love. And that's why at times it can become difficult to comprehend the kind of love that he has for us. But you have to remember, when the Bible says that with God all things are possible, the possible is, is all of those people who seemed unlovable, that Jesus loved them even to the point of going to the cross, and he's still, to this day, seeking after those who don't know him. The third thing that we need to know is this. First is how costly his love was. Second was this, how little we deserve it. But the third thing that we have to under, understand is that if his love is so extraordinary, there must be some amazing benefits that come by accepting the love of Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 1, it says, How great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That word bestowed means this, to present as a gift or a prize. Bestowed means to present as a gift or a prize. So how great is the love of Father that was presented to us as a gift or a prize that we should be called the children of the Most High God? What is the prize that we get when we embrace the love of God? Well, the prize is this, that we become the children of the Most High God. Your family lineage changes from just what you can find on, what's that, Ancestry.com? Ancestry.com cannot trace your spiritual DNA. You, you, you rub your cheek, you stick it in a thing, they tell you you're 7% Norwegian, they're 15% Irish, you're 30% North African, but they cannot see that you are 100% a child of God when you ask Jesus Christ into your life. And these lineages of who you are and where you came from, I don't know all that stuff, what it means, but I know this, that when you become a child of God, I know where your new DNA is ultimately going to take you. And that is a lavish benefit that when Jesus went to the cross, that he knew that that would be what our ultimate destiny would be. God loved us so much 
that he would not just settle to, to just save us from our sin and for us to have forgiveness. No, he penetrates the very core of who we are and causes us to be born again. Not born of the flesh, but this time born of the spirit. And that extravagant love brings us into that place to where we have a new family likeness and we become the heirs of the kingdom of God. In other words, we are his. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to look at verse 21. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In verse 21, we see that the Bible tells us, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or present things, or things to come, they're all yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. You are in Christ. So all of the things that belong to, to Him, they now become yours. He has given us all the things that He has promised us because we have become heirs of the Most High God. The second thing that I want to, or the third thing that I want to talk about benefits is, is this, is that now we are ambassadors of the Most High God. We've been given a position in God and we've been given a ministry. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, everybody say that with me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And what has he done? Not as he, only has he reconciled us to himself, but that he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. This is amazing that not only does our God save and, 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 and keep us and make us heirs, but now he gives us keys to the car as well. He gives us a position of great authority and substance in the kingdom of God, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. And in verse 20, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. The greatest thing that we get to do because of his extravagant love is we get to tell other people that they can be loved as well. We get to share with other people what they're missing. You know, so many people are this close to having it all together, and that close is God. That, that, that they got some things going good in their life, but they're missing that eternal peace, and they're missing God. And God has given us the ability to reconcile the world unto himself. When we go back to John chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, he says that there are other sheep that are not in my fold yet. 
What an amazing thing for Jesus to say. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He talks about all of these amazing things about being the shepherd of a sheepfold. But he, he said, I know this, that there are still many who have not come to know me. And he has given us that ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He says that is what God in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them. He's not holding account of people's wrongs. That we, as the ambassadors for Christ through God, that we are pleading through us, we implore you to find Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And in Galatians 6, 9, it tells the ambassadors, it tells the children of God, it tells the heirs of the Lord. It says to not grow weary in well-doing. In other words, don't wear out when God's calling you to do amazing things for other people. Because God is with us and he's walking with us. Now, I want you to, to see something. Jesus was not constrained to love us. Okay, this is an important point. He was not forced or compelled or obligated to love us. Why am I making such a deal out of that? Because it's important to know. It's important to know that Jesus loved us because that was who he was. It was a joy for him to do the things that he was going to do to open up his love for us. The death of someone's love for us, it cannot just be measured by one, the amount of pain and or the cost. It can't be measured by how undeserved we are to receive it. You see, God's love, the invisible love of God is so amazing that even when we don't see it, God is giving it. Even when we don't know it, God is, is on our side. Even when we feel like everything in the world is against us, you can always know that if God be for you, who can be against you? And even in those times when it doesn't feel like God is right there beside us, He is with us. But to see the fullness of someone's love, we must know how free they are in making the choice to love us. We must know how free they are to make the choice to love us. You see, in other words, is the love someone gives forced or they do, do they feel obligated by some outside force? Are they pressured to love you? Well, let me ask you this question. When someone does something good for you, do you feel more loved when they do it begrudgingly or when they do it gladly? Well, we all know the answer to that. We know when somebody's do doing something because they have to, right. and we know when somebody's doing something that, that's amazing for us because they want to. The more engaged and willing and free and glad our love is for others is the more amazing that it is. You see, the depth of Jesus' love is in the freedom of his love. No one made him do it. He chose to die so that we could live, and he did it with joy. He did it willingly. He did it eagerly, and he did it with gladness. The Bible tells us in Luke twenty-two fourteen, 14, it says, At the Last Supper, 
Jesus told his disciples that you have no idea how much I'm looking forward to eating this meal with you before I suffer. Why would he be so excited to have the Last Supper? Because this is what he knew. He knew that the suffering that he was going to endure on the cross was going to open up something so amazing for us that it would be hard for us to comprehend that. See, he knew when, when he, it's with fervent desire that he went to the cross that it was going to be more than just for salvation. No. See, he knew that that was going to open up the door for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And he loved you so much, he wanted you to have what he had when he experienced that at his water baptism and the Holy Spirit came upon him and then he began to minister in power and authority. You see, he was giving us not only the keys to be the ambassador to the kingdom, but he was also giving us the power and authority that we would need to be the reconcilers of this world unto himself. It was his fervent desire that he would go. He was compelled to go to the cross. And that's an amazing thing to know. You have to know that he went there with joy. And listen to this. He knew that even with joy, he's going to uh, face his demise on the cross, that he even knew that, that people would reject him in the process, but he did it anyway. The greatness of Jesus' love was in the freedom on which he loved us. His love uh, was so good that it cannot be contained to the cross alone. That's why we know that when Jesus, uh, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection took him to a place to where the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he can't quit loving us because what does he say his purpose is now? His purpose is to make intercession for those who love him. So Jesus is still in the process of loving us. He hasn't quit. He hasn't left us behind. He hasn't uh, uh, made us a one-time deal. No, we are a permanent fixture in the love of God. And we've got to understand that that extravagant love is still paying benefits for us again. If you would, turn with me back to John chapter 18. Turn back to John chapter 18 as I begin to land this plane. John chapter 18. When you're there, let me know. First thing it says in John chapter 18 is this. No one takes my life from me. No one can take my life from me. But what does he do? He chooses to lay it down of himself. He lays it down. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The power to lay it down and the power to take it. No one has the ability to take his life. When he was on the cross, when he said, it is finished, it wasn't because of the pain. It wasn't because of the nails. It wasn't because of the beatings. It wasn't because of the crown of thorns that he did that. No, he did that to say, it, this 
part of what I need to do to show my extravagant love to mankind, it is finished. There is not one more thing I can do to prove to you how much I love you. Look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. Look at the road that I walk for you. Look at all of the things that I pointed out in the four gospels for you. No one can take it. He has to lay it down himself. We need to let this sink in this morning. It's very clear that no one took his life. He willingly gave it. That's incredible to know that he didn't have to love us. He didn't have to pay a ransom, but rather he chose to do it and he did it on his terms. Now, some of you might be thinking, I read the Gospels, Pastor. I, I, I saw what happened. And you might be saying this, didn't Judas take his life? Didn't Judas come in and point him out and kiss him on the cheek? Didn't, didn't Judas turn him in? Didn't Ju wasn't Judas the one who took his life? You might think, what about the angry mob in the garden when they came to, to, to uh, behind Judas's kiss and they came and arrested him? Aren't they the ones that took his life? What about Ananias the high priest and the false witness who came against him? What about the crowds? who gathered around and, do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? And the crowds scream, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Aren't they the ones that took his life? What about Pilate, who handed him over to be crucified? What about the soldiers who nailed him on the cross? Aren't they the ones that took his life? Well, the reality is this. The answer to all of those questions are no. Right. They are prophetic fulfillment of what he was ultimately going to do. But he could have changed that course at any time. See, that's what extravagant love does. Extravagant love pays the price so that those who receive that love can walk in the fullness of it. And knowing they did nothing to deserve it, but he gave it to us anyway. So when you say, why do you serve God? Well, I hope that you serve him because he loved you so amazingly. He paid such an incredible price for you. He did something that no one else could possibly do for you. So how can we not do for him what he asks for us to do? Yeah. When you fall in love with Jesus, when you get that thing in your heart that you Wake up every day knowing that this is going to be a good day because my God made this day. That when you get to be a blessing, when you get to serve him, when you get the opportunity to be the ambassador, when you get the opportunity to bring reconciliation to somebody else and God, and you get to play a role in that, it's because of the extravagant love that he had for you on the cross. He meant that at every point where it looked like somebody was taking his life and he was being forced to love us, that he was choosing to do it. He was embracing it and it was gonna be on his terms and no one else was gonna have any kind of role to say it is finished for him. Only he could say it is finished. I lay down my life on my own initiative.
Now, there's three things that I just want to end you with, and this isn't three closings with 13 scriptures. This is three simple things I want to leave you with today. One, when we become enamored with God, when, when we understand what he has done for us, what can we do in return? Number one is this. We can love without expecting anything in return. You want to change your marriage? Love your husband expecting nothing in return. Love your wife expecting nothing in return. I don't bring Tammy coffee five out of seven days a week because I'm expecting something from her. I'm doing it because Jesus laid down his life for me. He gave me this gift as his daughter, and I want to choose to love her in the same way that he loved me, expecting nothing in return. The greatest thing that you can do for your family today is to become a person who loves expecting nothing in return. The second thing that you can do is you can love honoring others above yourself. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. That we need to extend brotherly love to other people, expecting that, that uh, we would just lay it there at their feet and we're not looking anything in return from them. Love others above yourself. You know, I've always found that if somebody comes into me with problems, there's always somebody that has a bigger problem than their problem. You know, our problems are not exclusive to us. But our, 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 our problems, you need to understand that we go through things in life so at the end of what we go through, we can see how God was with us the whole time we were dealing with what we dealt with. And when we get to the end of it, our love grows amazing because what we thought, well, there was no way we could bear in life. He brought his grace and favor into our life. And we're on the other side of it looking back and we say, how amazing was the love of God. That brought me from this place to where I was to where I am now. And yes, you might have a ding or a limp, but your ding and limp is just to be a testimony that God brought you through something. We need to love honoring others above ourselves. And the last thing we need to understand is, is that we love, in John first, uh, John or first John 4, 7 and 10. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Would you stand with me today? Yeah. I'm super excited about this idea of uh, being an uncommon servant. But I know that in order to be an uncommon servant, you have to receive the extravagant, uncommon love that was given to you by the one who paid a price for you, hung on a cross for you, but didn't stay there, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I know that some of you here today, you're facing stuff and you're wondering, where is God? Well, I got good news for you. He's right there in the midst of your storm. When, when the disciples were in the boat, the boat was rocking and the waves were blowing, the wind, it looked like they were going to sink. God was there. Jesus was in their boat. He was making sure that they didn't sink. And God's in your boat today. He's making sure that you're not going to sink. But even greater than what, what you're dealing with and what you're going through is the point of whose you are. 
And because of his extravagant love, you have been born again, been born again into the kingdom of God with the DNA of your father. And that's going to carry you to an, an, an eternal existence, but it's going to empower you on earth today to be a reconciler of other people that they would know Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your extravagant love. I thank you, God, that uh, when we embrace who you are, who we become becomes totally different. Father, I thank you today that as we grasp and understand the extravagant love that you have for us, we can wake up every day with a peace in our hearts. And every time the enemy comes to rob or steal or destroy something that you've given, we can stand on the truth of the word that we are yours and you are mine. And so God, today, I just pray that everyone in what they would do, they would do it not because they feel compelled and have to. Nobody wants to be touched out of that kind of heart. But that we would do everything out of the knowing of the extravagant love that we have received from God and God alone. Call us to that place of uncommon servanthood and empower us to do the things that you've gifted and called us to do. And Father, we just thank and praise you today. And it's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.